0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Tachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya the Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasnyansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Chapter four in the third in the third part of the Tanya, page 1033. Uh, the third part of Tanya is called the letter of Teshuvah. And uh, the reason it's called a letter is just like a letter. A letter is something that you write. Well, today people don't write letters anymore, but in the olden days, <laughs> used to write letters. A letter is something that you write to someone who's distant, who's far. So the idea of Teshuvah is talking to a Jew. It's addressing a Jew who... Feels distant or alienated from Yiddishkeit, and the idea of teshuvah is to come back home. To come back home to a place he never really left, because deep down inside every Jew is connected. And the Alter Rebbe is going to explain that that uh, this whole idea of teshuvah, the rest of Tanya, is something that's very close to us. It's very accessible, because people get frightened. The whole concept of teshuvah. Does it mean you have to be reborn again? You have to change? You have to become something otherworldly, something that you are in. and And al explains, once you understand the whole idea of Teshuvah, you'll understand that the whole process is something that's very dear and near to each and every one. So, the first three chapters, he explained, in chapter one, he described the essence of Teshuvah. What is the, uh, the essence? If you strip away all the details when you get down to it what is Teshuvah? what what's the moment that completely transforms you changes you from one one place to a different place puts you in a whole different place and he says when you strip away the the essence of Teshuvah it comes down to that moment that you resolve to change I'm going to change whatever happened till now is in the past from this moment going forward I'm going to change when you make that inner shift that inner resolve that inner decision so you've changed 180 degrees you know how far is east from west (laughs) just have to turn around it's right there (laughs) you don't have to go anywhere you don't need a car, you don't need a train, you don't need a plane, you just turn around and you've made a 180 degree change. So that inner shift, that inner change that you're going to change your behavior, that is the essence of teshuvah. Now, then there are the, in order to do a complete teshuvah, in order to do a complete teshuvah, there are many, many steps. There's the regret, what you've done in the past, there's asking forgiveness, asking, I'm sorry. But that's the complete Teshuvah. Because when you do Teshuvah, when you're trying to mend something that you've done wrong, there's two two parts to it. One part is the person himself. The person is lost. You've lost your way. You've disconnected yourself. So for that, Teshuvah helps immediately. The moment you decide to change, the moment you decide to plug in, You reconnect, you're connected. You're there. You're in the right place. But then you have all the damage that you've done. All the scars that you've created. Just like if a person steals. It's not enough to make the resolve that from now on I'm never going to steal again. If you don't return the money, (laughs) well, firstly, if you don't return the money, obviously your resolve means nothing not sincere how could you resolve not to steal and then you're holding on to the stolen money but if if you're if you are sincere you're not going to steal and you plan to return the money because your change is genuine your resolve is genuine but until you return the money you you haven't fixed the damage that you've done you've stolen some money that money is missing, you have to return it to, to, to its rightful owner, you, you have to apologize and obtain forgiveness so just making a resolve for now what I'm going to change that doesn't help the person who lost his money and that's between man and man, but the truth is even between man and God, everything that we do really has an impact, has an effect you know, we don't live in a vacuum, everything that we do creates an energy and Has an effect, an impact. It impacts our soul. It impacts the divine. It impacts heaven. So when we do something wrong, if we say something wrong, every time we lie, we slander, it's not okay, so who cares? What difference does it make? Or if you think something wrong, it's in the privacy of my head, it's private space. Today everything is in public. The last private, the last private private refuge we have is now ahead. And you know, some people can't stop talking. So everything that they're thinking is out in the open. But that's our last privacy. There is no privacy today, <laughs> at least for now. Who knows what they're going to come up with soon? The you know, Mashiach will come. Everything will be open. You won't even be able to hide behind your thoughts. Um, but even when we think, when you think negative, you create a negative energy. And you damage your soul, you damage the upper realms, the divine realms, and you damage Hashem himself. So yes, while the essence of Teshuvah is that you decide to change, I won't repeat that behavior. I'm going to change, genuinely change. But to complete the Teshuvah, to fix the damage that was done, for that you need more. There's more steps involved you have to have regret. you have to say I'm sorry and depending on the severity of the sin if it was a sin of omission you didn't do something you were supposed to do so the moment you make that resolution you're forgiven the Talmud says you don't move you don't budge and you're immediately forgiven but what if it's a sin a prohibition a sin of commission—you did something wrong. You've you've taken an action. You've done something wrong. In that case, the damage is m- more severe. more pronounced. The scar is deeper. So, for that, teshuvah is not alone. For that, you also need Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. When you fast in Yom Kippur, the day itself—if you go through the day and you fast in Yom Kippur—the day itself is a cleansing accomplishes a cleansing to the person. So coupled together with teshuva, coupled together with a regret, an inner regret, and especially a teshuvah that you do on Yom Kippur. Because in Yom Kippur, everyone is inspired. It's one thing when you do teshuva, when you repent on a Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But when you're in Yom Kippur, and you're dressed in white, and you're fasting, and you're like an angel, and the holiest day of the year, and the holy environment, it hits home. The the truth is also deeper. The regret is deeper. The the soul-searching is deeper. So therefore, the impact is also deeper. It uproots any negativity, any negative energy that you've created, any scars you've created, is cleansed. What if a person sinned? The Talmud says a sin which comes with a capital punishment, capital crime. That's the severe sin. You're talking about heavy-duty heavy duty sin that the court would sentence you to death so this, this is serious serious business so the scars that you create and the negative energy that you've introduced into, your, into this world to your soul into the upper realms to the divine that needs a more intense cleansing Teshuvah is not alone, enough Yom Kippur is not enough but it, coupled with Teshuvah and Yom Kippur that's why a person has to go through, that's why Hashem subjects us to pain and suffering, which is like a cleansing. It's not a punishment, it's a cleansing. Just like when you take to the cleaners. You take dirty clothes to the cleaners. It depends how dirty it is. If it's really stain, ketchup stains, through and through, and, you know, then you're going to have to sit there and scrub everything out. So Hashem, out of His infinite mercy, when He sees that we've done everything that we can, and we have done teshuvah, We've had a change of heart, and we have we experienced the Yim Kippur. So to complete our, complete our teshuvah, Hashem will. Uh, we will experience have to experience some inconvenience, and, of course, Hashem could substitute that inconvenience, for something lighter. You know, it says if you put your hand in your pocket, and you expect to find some money. You want to tip the guy who just delivered your, your food, your kosher food, and you want to give him a tip, and you put your hands in your pockets and you think you have money and then you discover you don't have any money in your pocket. It's very aggravating. Painful. <laughs> so Hashem God his infinite mercy could substitute that pain for real pain. You know. So better we should experience that pain than God forbid real pain. But any pain that we experience is really a cleansing. It's like, it's like a, a parent out of love of their child. When the child sits and rolls in the mud and comes into the house all caked and dirt. And you have to sit and scrub the child, put him in the bath and start scrubbing him. And it's very painful. And the child is yelling, what are you doing? Mommy, what are you doing to me? You hate me? What are you, what are you killing me? Even I'm doing, you're my child, and you're caked in mud, and and I have to clean you. So that's what Hashem is doing to us. When we go through pain and suffering, Hashem is cleansing us. And all three things together, then that completes the Truva process. Then the damage is undone. And any negativity that we've introduced to ourselves, to the world, is completely washed away, and we're cleansed. And then there's another level most severe sin which is when you publicly desecrate God's name it's one thing if you sin privately it's another thing when you communicate that sin when you become not a paragon of virtue but you become a bad example and when you affect others when you affect other people when you affect ten other people in a negative way, the damage you've done is, has gone public. That's the, that's the most severe sin of all. That teshuva, repentance, is not enough. Yom Kippur is not enough. Even pain and suffering is not enough. It's only together with all three. It's when we experience the ultimate cleansing. When a person passes away... Passing away is also part of our healing and cleansing process because your ego comes to an end and the, uh, the soul is cleansed. It's, it's all part of the... And that's why, you know, the end of life, people, unfortunately, in many cases, some people are fortunate. They just like, you know, wink out. They just like, without any pain, they die suddenly and it's a very easy, smooth death. The Talmud says there are 999 different deaths. The lightest death is like pulling a hair out of a cup of milk. You just pull it out. The soul makes the transition from this world into the next world. And the harshest death is it's like pulling a rope through a very small hole. You have to pull to get it out. In other words, a person who's very materialistic, whose whole life is about materialism, ego, I, that person can't part from this world. He can't face death. No more Chinese restaurants, no more <laughs> no more theater, no more movies, no more what, what, what where, where am I going to? <laughs> this is the end of life. So you, you fight it with every a person who's very spiritual. It's like a transition. The door closes and the door opens. You're going from one one reality to a higher level of reality. It's no, it's not. It's not not the end of the world As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe When he was arrested by the Stalinists In 1927 in Russia Stalinist Russia For teaching Judaism And for preserving Jewish life in Russia Single-handedly preserving Jewish life in Russia Russia boasted the largest Jewish community in the world The most active and most vibrant Many of our parents come from Russia Ancestors And overnight the communists shut down Jewish life Especially the Jewish communists And the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, all the rabbis fled, ran away. And the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe single-handedly kept the torch alive. He sent his students to open up mikvahs, Jewish schools, to circumcise the children, to teach the children. And uh, they were very frustrated. This Jew (laughs) single-handedly defied Stalin. No one dared defy Stalin. And he was like very brazen about it. Sent his students, thousands of students, all, all over Russia were opening up secret... Yeshiva at secret Jewish schools Teaching children It was a disaster So they arrested him And they sentenced him to death When they interrogated him The previous Rebbe did not cooperate and Which is also unprecedented Because he's so intimidated Imagine Stalinist Russia in 1927 You know, he describes he Going to prison He heard the shots People were shot every day And it was just horrific and, But he was very strong with incredible self-sacrifice, and he made a resolution that his captors are nothing, are absolutely nothing, zero. He has no respect for them. They're illegitimate. They're 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 evil. They illegal. Whatever they're doing is completely illegal, even by Russian law. Mm-hmm. And um, he just completely, and and they it drove them mad because they never had such an experience. All the prisoners were intimidated. And here this Jew, this stubborn Jew, refused to acknowledge him. And um, they got so angry that his interrogator, who was a Jew actually, took out a gun and started, started twirling the gun. He says, you know this little toy made a lot of people speak. So if you don't want me to shoot you, you better start cooperating the previous Rebbe very cold-bloodedly looked at him and he says, he says, a person who has two gods and one world, this little toy could intimidate. But a Jew has one god and two worlds. So this, this little toy doesn't intimidate me. <laughs> so a person whose life is very spiritual, so death is not so frightening It's, it's, it's uh, you make a transition from this existence to a higher level of reality a much more profound level of reality but the, uh, but the act of death itself is actually part of the cleansing process because the source of all evil and the source of all our negativity like you heard yesterday comes from ego what's death? The death of the ego and that's actually for the soul. It's actually very liberating, and it's a very, it's a very uh, uplifting. The soul is uplifted to a whole deeper dimension of life, of living. So that's completes. Death completes the atonement process. When a person desecrated God's name, and you did public damage, then your own personal yom kippur, your own personal suffering, your own personal repentance, doesn't help. Because the damage was done was collective. It's only when that ego comes to an end and the person is no longer amongst the living that, that he's forgotten and his sins are forgotten, and, and therefore it's a, it's a healing for the soul. So that was the second level of teshuvah, the complete teshuvah. Teshuvah, where a person mends all the damage that was done. Okay, then he discussed that even when a person completes his teshuva, and does a complete teshuva, not only is everything forgiven, and he won't be brought up in court, not in this court, court not in the divine court, of after 120 years, but even if everything is completely cleansed, and there's no longer any negative energy has been completely... Dealt with, but something is lost in the process. Your innocence is lost. There's no going back. You know, once a person, once you lose your innocence, there's no going back. So the question is, once a person sin even if you fix everything and you're generally forgiven, and it'll never be brought up again, it's wiped off the record. It's not like an American law. Once you you do something criminal you have a stain for the rest of your life. In Judaism, it doesn't work that way. In the Torah, if you really, truly mend and change and you can transform and the negativity is completely erased from your record. It's very enlightened. It's very childish to keep a record for the rest of your life. A you know, person messes up, you fix it and you move on. You know, this, this it's, all, it's so immature and childish, this whole concept. But that's not the Jewish approach. But nevertheless, the innocence is gone. The relationship is damaged. It's like a spouse has been unfaithful. Oh, the relation, the trust is gone. The relationship... So Even if you... There's something, something... How do you restore that relationship? How do you restore that innocence? That purity? And that's why, in addition to fixing this sin... After, in the times of the temple, after a Jew would bring a sin offering, he would offer a burnt offering, a gift. And the purpose of the gift, the sin offering already mended, it took care of the sin, of the negativity. But the purpose of the gift was to restore that relationship. To get back in in God's good good graces. To restore that innocence. You miss that intimacy. And by giving a gift, showing, demonstrating a love and that not only heals the pain, but it also creates and restores and brings back that childlike purity, innocence. And that's the idea. Today we don't have a temple. So what's the substitute for bringing a sin offering? So he says the substitute for bringing a sin offering is the idea of fasting. Because a fa- when you fast, it's the same idea of offering, offering yourself. You're diminishing your own physical self, you're fasting. So you're offering your body, you're offering yourself. It's like giving a gift. So you're fasting in order to restore that purity and that innocence. Today, however, today the generations are much weaker. We don't have the strength to fast, especially the amount of fast required, according to the Kabbalists, for all the different sins especially according to the opinion that every, you have to fast for every time you sin for example every time you lose your temper you have to fast 151 fasts well <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we, if we live till 100 until 1,000 years maybe we'll and uh, the same that's just one sin and imagine if we add up all the others <laughs> um, 184 I mean uh, um, uh, 84 for, for um, wasteful emission so if you have to fast for every time, you know, we don't have the strength for it, and we'll be fasting the rest of our lives. So instead, we can substitute it by giving tzedakah. When you give charity. And that's why today Jews are so careful to give more tzedakah than ever. In general, that's our nature. We're very charitable. But we give more tzedakah than ever. Beyond any, because just to make up for each. For each day that you have to fast, so the Torah says you have to, it says in the code of Jewish law, if each day you have to fast, you can substitute it for, I think the price of silver today, it comes out to like uh, $18 a day, $18, $20 a day. So let's say one time you get angry, it's 151 times, times 18, it doesn't pay to get angry, trust me, it doesn't, it's not worth it. <laughs> Uh, you know, if we have to redeem every time we sin, we can pay up the mortgage and buy our next chabad house already. Um, burn the mortgage. The So that's why in order to substitute and to make up every time that we sin, that's why Jews today give so much Sadaka. Every every and um, and this restores us in God's good grace This reconnects us. This recreates that chemistry. Because when you sin, the chemistry is gone. Chemistry is something intangible. Yes by the books you've done everything right the sin is wiped off the record ne- you'll never be reminded of it ever again, you'll um, never be thrown thrown at you ever again, it's done it's you're dealt with but the chemistry is gone the trust is gone the connection, that intimacy is gone the innocence but by giving, by, by offering a sacrifice or in lieu of that by fasting or in lieu of that today by giving lots of tzedakah way beyond you know, without any limitation just giving and giving and giving and giving even more there, that recreates that innocence, that recreates that connection reconnects and that's why today that's what the, the, the focus is that's our mitzvah in which the Jewish people shine at, I don't think any other time in Jewish history where Jews gave so much tzedakah, it's just the amount of tzedakah that's given today, it's, it's, it's really incredible. It's really very impressive. You know, the, uh, the IRS, when the uh, Jews started coming, to, uh, you know, observant Jews started coming to America, especially after World War II, and they were looking at the tax returns, and they were shocked, the amounts of tzedakah that were given. You're talking about lower-middle-income people that were just starting. Okay, and... Um, they were giving tzedakah The amount of money they reported No one in America gave tzedakah like that They were certain That they're hiding it's for, They're hiding money They must be making 10 times as much Based on the amount of tzedakah it's charity it's char- That they were giving They must have been making 10 times as much So they were certain that they, they, they're hiding It doesn't make any It took them a while They had to hire Jewish accountants To realize this is our culture Jews just give 10% It's not even a question. And most Jews give 20%. Obviously, if you can afford it. Obviously, a person who's struggling to pay his bills, make sure to pay your bills and put food on your table. But thank God, most people, that's not an issue. So 10%, 20%, and many people give even more. So especially in today's day and age, we're generous to a fault. Jews are generous to a fault. We're disproportionately represented in all of the charities whether it's save the whales or save whatever it may be. But, the, but this is in general the Jewish quality of generosity, of giving. But especially today's day and age, because in order, because unfortunately we all have our spiritual aches and pains, things we have to mend, things we have to make up for. And the way to do it is through giving tremendous amount of tzedakah and without any limitation, because we want to evoke God's infinite mercy also. So in order to evoke God's infinite mercy, we also have to give in an infinite way, way beyond any calculation and measure, and be generous to a full. So this is what he discussed till now. And um, in chapter 4, he's going to go back to the fr- original point that he began, the essence of Teshuvah. In order to understand Teshuvah, he's going to introduce what the concept of Teshuvah means on a deeper level on a mystical level. And he's going to quote the Zohar. The Zohar says, the Zohar is like the Bible of Jewish mysticism. And the Zohar says, Teshuvah, the word Teshuvah itself means Tashuv Hay. You have to return the Hay of God's name. God's name is a central name. His core name is the four letters, Yud, K Vav k, This is God's name that we are not allowed to pronounce as it's written. Instead of saying, instead of reading it as it's written, we say Adnai, the Master. We don't read it as it's written. We're not allowed to read it as it's written until Mashiach comes. And um, so God's essential name, Yud k Vav k, has two He's in it. Yud hey Vav hey. So Teshuvah, The Zohar says, what is the process of Teshuvah? The point of Teshuvah is to return hay. You have to restore and return the hay that was taken away. Because when a person sins, you affect the hay. You remove God's hay. And therefore you have to return that letter. And you have two letters hay in God's name. You have the first letter hay, and you have the end of the word, the second letter hay. So when you restore the higher hey, the first hey, that's called the higher level of teshuvah. And when you restore the latter hey, the end of the word, that's what he calls the lower level of teshuvah. This is the Zohar. This is very mystical language. And then he's going to start explaining what does it mean. What does it mean that when a person sins, you affect God's name? How do you affect God's name by sinning? How do you take away... God's name or the letters of His name through sinning. Okay, so let's begin chapter 4, page 1033.
0: Certain penitential fasts then, are to be actually undertaken while others are to be redeemed through charity. However, all we have said refers to the culmination of the atonement, to polishing the soul clean before Hashem, so that no vestige of former sin remains after repentance. As cited above, from the Talmud, Chapter 1 of Zebahachim, where the over-sacrifice brought for transgressing a positive command is described as the gift offered to the offended party after an intercessor's successful plea. The above-mentioned fast for their counterpart in charity serve as a similar function. Okay, so this
1: is basically just a brief (coughs) synopsis of what we discussed till now. And now he's beginning this discussion to really understand what the shuvah really means. What does repentance really mean? And it's all in the Word. Like anything else in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is very magical, very special. It's a divine language. It's not like any other language which is man-made. The secret of understanding anything in, in, in the Torah is understanding the Word. Because it's all in the Word you understand the root of the word, you understand the meaning of the word, and the letters of the word, you'll have a true understanding of the depth of what it means to do Teshuvah. Like the beginning of the um.
0: mitzvah, of Teshuvah and its core is a true and wholehearted return to God. As will soon become apparent, just return literally until God. is returning until the point that one has restored completeness to the Havaya, the four-lettered name of God that is to be found within every Jewish soul. The letters that comprise the tesegrammaton are in descending order Yud and He and vav. and he. This must now be thoroughly and explained thoroughly and comprehensively. Let us begin with the Zohar's interpretation of Shuvah according to so the mystical approach to the Torah. Shuvah is Tashuv He, the He shall return. The function of teshuva is to return the letter hey of the divine name havaya to reattach it to the level represented by the letter that precedes it just as it was attached to it before the individual sin the reco- the reconnection of the letter hey to the preceding letter ba is teshuva the lower level the reconnection of the former hey to the preceding letter yud is
1: the higher level jeshuvah. the fourth Rebbe, uh, there was a, a Jew in Eastern Europe who he, he earned his living he had a, a calf that uh, a, a cow that provided milk and um, one day the cow stopped providing milk and that was his livelihood and he was very distraught so he went to some mystic and the mystic told him that because of your sin, you created a defect in the hay of God's name. And in Hebrew, how do you say cow in Hebrew? Para. It ends with a hay. What happens when you remove the letter hay? It becomes par, ax. So you've changed it. Through your behavior, you've changed <laughs> it's no longer acting like a no it's acting like a cow, it's acting like an ox like a male, it's not giving milk anyway, he went to the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe and uh, he told him the same story and the Rebbe told him and he told him the response that this Kabbalist told him, that he affected the high level of, divine level of hay and therefore he rendered his para into a para is cow into an ox so the Rebbe told him and I think that you have a defect in your lower level of hay you're not feeding the poor cow a little hay <laughs> what do you expect I expect him to give milk <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you know. so he says there's two levels of hay there's a lower level of hay and there's a higher level of hay and when a Jew sins our behavior affects God's name. Now that's a very powerful concept which is going to explain that we're so rooted and so connected that even when we sin even when we're not acting properly we're not acting the way a Jew should act but we're so rooted and so connected that our behavior and actions affect God's name affect them either positively or negatively so even when we sin in this sin you see how rooted and connected we are because look at the damage we can do only someone who is so rooted and so connected could do so much damage it's like an insider only someone's from the inside there's no one who can do the amount of damage as an insider right who's the worst enemy from within because the damage that he does it's a wound that hits home So whatever we do, we are rooted, we are connected. We don't have a choice. It's a reality. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. We're all connected. We all have that connection. Whether we appreciate it or not, whether we like it or not, it's a fact. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. No one will ever say a Christian is a Christian is a Christian, because it's not true. An atheistic Christian is an oxymoron. But an atheist Jew is still a Jew. 100% Jewish. There's no difference. Reform, conservative, even orthodox. Every Jew. Unaffiliated. A Jew is a, a Jew. Every Jew is 100% connected. And if we have any doubts, if we have any doubts, just look at what's going on. Right here. Now in our own backyard. Right now. We had the most tumultuous year A year of transformations that took everyone by surprise. The Middle East, first Egypt, uh, first uh, Tunisia, Egypt, Libya. Syria is hanging on a hair. And yet, what does it all come down to? (laughs) What's it all about at the end of the day? The Jew, Israel. What does Israel have to do with anything? You're busy transforming your societies. You're so backwards. You've been so oppressed for, for forever. You're finally learning to be free. And yet it all comes back to one place. Israel. The Jew of the world. There are hardly any Jews in the world. You can't even find Israel on the map. You have to write it on the Mediterranean. It doesn't even fit. on A little (laughs) sliver sliver that we have. And yet what does it all come down to? The whole UN? Durban 3? This anti-Semitic conference which Hitler would be very proud of. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Nothing changes. It's just amazing. You would think the cap, the culminate, the climax this whole year, they get together at the UN, people will be talking about democracy and freedom and uh, all the good things. In Japan, the whole world. I mean, we had a biblical year this year from things were, from all over the world. And yet, at the end of the day, what's it all about? You know, somehow it always comes back to the Jew. <laughs> so if anyone has any doubt how rooted and how connected the Jew is. And not only the Jewish whole, every one of us, individual. Because every one of us is a slice, we're we're a reflection of the whole. Every drop of the ocean reflects the whole sun. Every one of us reflects the whole. So whether we like it or not, whether we want to or not, whether we appreciate it or not, it's a fact, it's a reality. We are rooted and we are connected. Whatever we do, positive and negative, whatever we do has impact, has such an effect, so, and what's true in the macrocosm is also true in the microcosm. Our personal behavior, our personal speech, our personal thoughts and attitudes. Well, who cares? It's my life. What difference does it make? No, it's like, it's like drilling a hole in your boat. You know, you, you, you rent a seat in the boat and you start drilling a hole. Hey, it's a free country. I paid for my seat. <laughs> it's my cabin. No, you're drilling a hole. We're going to drown. We, we don't live in isolation. We're all connected. And that's an awesome responsibility, but it's an awesome privilege as well. So this is the idea that he's saying that when, whatever we do affects, as Zohar says, whatever we do, we affect God's name. We affect God himself. His name is affected. When we sin, we affect the hay. And the purpose of Teshuvah is to restore, reconnect and restore the hay back to its place bring the letters back together you know when God creates the world God created the world and creates the world through the Hebrew language the Hebrew letters are the channels through which God creates the world everything that exists has a Hebrew name that Hebrew name is the divine channel with which God is constantly creating and bringing it into existence every moment now when the words Are written the way they should be written. It's legible. It makes sense. You read a paragraph, you read a page, you read a story. The story has a theme, has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. What happens when you scramble the letters? Then it comes across as as gibberish. I don't see the content. Where's the story? And that's what happened. This world is made up of letters. But when a Jew acts appropriately and we live by the Torah and we do the mitzvot, then all the letters are in sequence. And then you have clarity. There's a theme. There's a purpose. You look at the world. You look at life. You understand it. There's a connection. What happens if, God forbid, we misbehave? We scramble the letters. The letters are there. They're all, they're all. And then it's like a story without a rhyme. Without, You don't see a connection. You don't see the speaker. You don't feel the speaker. And that's the mission of a Jew is to do Teshuvah, to return. We have to return the letter. We have to return the letter to its proper place. And then you can read the word. And then you sense the content of the word. You know, when you read words and letters, you don't even notice the words. You're reading the meaning. Unless you're reading Chinese, then all you notice are the words, because you have no clue what the words mean. But when, you, when the words are together, they're coherent, and you understand the content of the word, then you see the inside. You don't even notice the outside. You just see the inside. Then the life has content. Life has meaning. You sense that there's a divine purpose to life. We have for a reason. Life has meaning. We're coming from somewhere. We're going somewhere. There's a theme. There's a purpose. What happens when you mix all the letters together and then it just comes across as gibberish and all I see are the words. I don't see the content. And all I see is what I see with the naked eye. The materialism. And that becomes an end in itself. And there's no point. There's no purpose. What's it all about? Why am I here? And then the whole, it just becomes nonsense. Be saying nothing, right? What's that famous line? Shakespeare? Um, Full of sound and fury, signifying nothing? But the,
0: mm-hmm. That's what life is.
1: Right. That's what life becomes. So this is all a result of our sinning. When we sin, we confuse the world. The world becomes gibberish, disconnected from its inner content, and then we don't see and we don't sense the inner, the life, the purpose. When we do Teshuvah, we put the letters back in its right place. And then, suddenly, it's a beautiful story. It all comes into place. It's like a puzzle. You have different pieces of the puzzle. It means nothing. But then when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together, ah, it's a beautiful picture. This world becomes a beautiful world. So this world is a beautiful world. God created it. It was a Garden of Eden. Potentially, it's a beautiful world today but it's up to us we have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together so when we put the piece of the puzzle together internally how we live our daily lives you know you want to change the world you want to do tikkun olam you want to change the world it's not by hugging a tree it's how you treat your spouse how you treat your parents how you treat your children how you treat your employees your employer how you behave how you think how you speak if you lie if you slander you humiliate, or if you speak positive, you think positive, healthy attitudes, healthy behavior, versus junk food, junk lifestyle. But it has an effect. We don't live in isolation. You want to change the world, you have to change it from the atom up. You have to go to the smallest. It's how we live individually. It's the family, which is the atom of society and the atom of life and the atom of creation of being. If you have a healthy family, you'll have a healthy world. It's just it's 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 almost a shocking and mind-boggling how society cares more about what car you drive, how much omission you're emitting, versus family. <laughs> this is the atoms of creation, this is the atom of life, this is this is, you want to change the world, you want to affect the world, you have to build it from the bottom up, you have to build it from the foundation up. When you start tearing, destroying the family, destroying the very fabric of life itself, I, I mean, what's more important? I mean, if I'm using a, a super unleaded or leaded, I mean, that's, that's what life is about, or how I behave and how I live and how I... So when priorities become so upside down, that's as a result of the confusion. Because the disconnect. It's gibberish. It's nonsense. What does it all mean? What's it about? Is that, what really, is that really what it boils down to? Is this what life is all about? Or is it about building, changing life and the atom up? Because whatever we do and how we live personally affects and changes the whole universe. And changes the divine name and the words and the letters suddenly all come into sequence and suddenly have clarity and suddenly the, the pieces of the puzzle all come together and the world becomes a beautiful place, a garden of Eden. The world doesn't have to be a jungle, but it depends on each and every one of us. Individually, personally how we live and how we behave on a Wednesday afternoon. In the privacy of my mind, no one knows what I'm thinking. It makes a difference. It matters. Especially how we speak. Especially how we act. Small things. It's not like when you date, right? You want to you know how your future uh, spouse is going to be. Watch, watch how they treat the waiter <laughs> or the doorman. That's exactly how they're going to treat you one day. <laughs> is the person a mensch or the person isn't a mensch? You know, it boils down to the small things. Not the earth-shattering, global, uh, you know, I'm going to change. That's, that you, can't, you can hardly affect. That. You want to really make a change in this world. You want to really affect life create a beautiful home live your life every day of your life every moment live it in a Jewish way in a wholesome way instead of junk food junk lifestyle live a wholesome life think Jewishly speak Jewishly act Jewishly in a wholesome way in an uplifting way an inspiring way and that's how you change the world and that's how you bring all the letters back together When you bring all the letters together then life becomes coherent The message is clear. The content is clear. Life becomes beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Otherwise, it just becomes a babble, gibberish, nonsense. Down is up, up is down. The Jew becomes the enemy. What a confused world. Israel should be like the paragon of of virtue. People should be holding up Israel as a beautiful example of a tiny little country. Look how productive, how, how beautiful it is. Instead, Israel is the enemy. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. They're not busy condemning Syria, who butchered, what's the number up to? His own people. No one says a word. But a Jew builds an apartment in, his own, in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the eternal capital of Israel, and the whole world. You know, it's, this is nonsense. This is confusion. This is, but you know, Maybe the reason that comes back to the Jew is because the world is telling the Jew, we hold you responsible. Because if you would act like a Jew, and speak like a Jew, and think like a Jew, and you would bring clarity into the world, the whole world will f- would fall into place. You know, there's a, we, we know an energy healer here in uh, Manhattan. She's Russian, her father is Jewish, she's not Jewish. And um, she was diagnosed with a terminal illness at the age of 20. She went to India. She learned by the masters, Indian masters. And uh, she's in the 60s now. And uh, she became a healer. And um, twice a year she goes to Jerusalem. She says, the energy in Jerusalem, there's no place anywhere in the world like it. And she says, she tells all the Jewish friends, says I don't understand. I'm not Jewish. You are. He says, in India, my masters taught me, and she, she learned by the real masters. He says, my masters taught me, they have a tradition, going back all the way to the beginning of Hinduism, that the world will not get its act together, will not fall into place until the Jew gets his act together. He says, when the Jew will get their act together and start acting Jewishly and start acting like a Jew and connect it, the whole world will fall into place. So maybe the obsession of the world with the Jew In a way, it's right. Yes, it is a double standard. Because they have a point. What they're telling us, it's their funny way of telling us, Drew, get your act together. Because until you get your act together, we're all lost. We're confused. We don't know up from down and right from left. When we restore God's name, the hay in its proper place, and the word, suddenly, all the words, now it becomes music, it becomes something meaningful, coherent. And then the whole world, all the pieces of the puzzle fall into place. And you see this beautiful picture. So it really does boil down. At the end of the day, it does come down to the truth. <laughs> because the Jew is at the heart of the world. The Jew is the center. The Jew is rooted and connected. Whether we like it or not. We're not called the choosing people. <laughs> we're called the chosen people. You know, It's not our choice. It's just a fact. We are. And we're connected and rooted. So whatever we do, not only collectively, but individual. And therefore, every one of us can have such an impact on the whole world as well. Global impact. The smallest thing that we do. Maimonides says, quotes the Talmud, that a Jew is always obligated to view himself and the entire world as being on an equal scale. Perfectly balanced. The good and the evil. The positive and the negative. And by you adding one positive mitzvah, not only an action, even in speech or even in thought. One positive thought. You have the power to single handedly tip the scale and bring redemption not only to yourself, but to the whole entire world. And every one of us, every, all 70,000 Jews living in the Upper East Side, can you imagine if this was how we thought every day of our life? Tomorrow morning, we all thought, you know, the whole world is in my hands. I can do one positive deed. Let's not talk about the negative. Let's let's better talk about the positive. I can do one positive deed and literally tip the scale and transform. Create a critical mass and transform human consciousness. If we realize how rooted and how connected each and every one of us is, the awesome responsibility that we have, and it's even taking a baby step forward. To tip the scale, you don't need a lot. When it's perfectly balanced, the slightest thing can tip the scale. Give an extra penny to charity. Give an extra smile. You ran out you ran out of your quota of smiles already for the day. You give an extra. push yourself. That person needs a smile, give them an extra smile. Extra word of encouragement. Positive attitude. The small slightest thing, from the greatest to the smallest, every one of us has could improve. Take a baby step forward. And it's that simple. If every Jew in the world took one baby step forward, Mashiach would be our, and it would transform human consciousness, and it would transform and change the world. So that's what's at stake. We have to realize what's at stake. What we do affects God Himself and God's name. And God creates the world with His name, so it affects the whole world. Whether there's clarity, or everything is confusion, gibberish, nonsense that we're experiencing today. And nonsense is not only innocent, nonsense is dangerous. The nonsense that we're experiencing today is not, is very dangerous. Ganging up against Israel, ganging up against the true Palestinian state. I mean, this is reckless and dangerous nonsense. This is not just, it's, there are consequences. If we get our act together, or God forbid if we don't, there's there's real consequences. The whole world is at stake here. The, the non-Jew is there to remind us, is reminding us how real the consequences are. You don't understand. It's not, a, this is not, it's not optional. It's not icing on the cake. We, our life depends on you getting your act together. That's what they're telling us. You don't get it? If the Jews, you don't get your act together, we're suffering. So, and that's why anti-Semitism will never go away. It's amazing. We're 2011 and nothing changed. I mean, this is this is this anti-Semitism is exactly what you what you what you read about 300 years ago in the Middle. I mean, it's just amazing the blood libels and the stories about Israel and the Jew, I, I mean, and this is happening here now, in our backyard. You know why? Because core things don't change; superficial things change, styles. But we had ten fingers a thousand years ago, and you know what? As modern as we become, in ten years, in a thousand years now we still have ten fingers, not eleven fingers. Core things don't change. The Jew never changes. The essence, what makes us Jewish, we're divine, we're rooted and connected to the divine, and we have a responsibility to illuminate and to lead and to be the conscience of the world, to be a light unto the nation, that never changes. So, as modern as we are, as with it as we are, that doesn't—the essence is the same. The Jew hasn't changed one iota. It's the same Jew that stood at Sinai, and the same Jew that walked through the, the, the Red Sea, and the same Jew that uh, stood at the rebuilding, the building of the Temple, and you know, the essence doesn't change. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. The non-Jew sees it and appreciates it, and we have to appreciate it. And that's what he says—that we are rooted. And we're so connected that what we do affects the divine name, Yud We remove the hay and we put it out of sequence. And therefore, we have to do teshuvah, we have to restore the name. So that's the Zohar.
0: We must also note that the Zohar states several times that teshuvah is ineffective for violation of the covenant and for wasteful emission of sin. This is most astonishing. Or nothing can stand in the way of teshuva even idolatry, incest and so on Yidden are commanded to give up their lives rather than transgress these prohibitions, yet repentance atones even for them, how then can it be that there are other sins which repentance is ineffective? Rezher Chachma explains that the intention of the Zohar is that though tshuva tata, tataa, conventional level repentance is not effective, tshuva is
1: the Zohar is discussing there's two Aspects to teshuva as we learned earlier discussed earlier there's the essential aspect of teshuva where a person resolves to change and at that moment the teshuva is is effective and it doesn't matter which sin it doesn't matter what you've done the moment you change you make that 180 degree turn inner shift it's an effective teshuvah. Then there's another aspect of teshuvah. Another aspect of teshuvah is fixing, mending what you've done wrong. Undoing the damage. And one has nothing to do with the other. For example, the Talmud says that the mitzvah, the commandment to honor your parents, is when do you have to honor your parents? Says, what if your parents are, are not acting, are not honorable citizens? Do you have a responsibility to honor your parents? If your parents are not acting honorably And the Torah says It's part of the Ten Commandments Honor your parents is right up there With the commandments between man and God That's how important it is to honor your parents So much so That the penalty for not honoring your parents Is the same penalty you get For dishonoring God That's how important it is to honor your parents but that penalty for dishonoring your parents is only when your parents are acting honorably, when they live an honorable life. If your parents are not acting an honorable life, although Jewish law states you still have to honor your parents, but if you don't honor your parents, you don't get, it's not a capital crime. If you dishonor your parents, it's a capital crime. But if that's only if your parents are acting honorable. Now, the Talmud says that a... A bastard, a Jewish, uh, the Jewish definition of a bastard is, if it's a child from from incest, or or you had relations with a married woman, and uh, the child is child out of wedlock is not a bastard, but a, a child comes from either incest or a child that's born uh, a woman, a married woman had relations with a someone other than a husband, and, and that child is considered a bastard. So the Talmud says that a bastard has to honor his parents, his father. And if he doesn't honor his father, then it's a capital crime. So the Talmud says, wait a minute. But we learn, the Talmud says that if a person gives birth to a bastard, this is a sin which you can't fix because the result of your sin is alive and walking and is present. You can't undo the sin. He's just a walking re- uh, reminder of... He's the result of sin, born in sin. So, you can't really undo the damage. It's too late. There's nothing you can do. So, Talmud says, how could you say that a bastard has obligated to honor his father? And it's a capital crime. You said it's impossible to fix. You can't, not, you can't do teshuvah." And the Talmud answers we're talking about a case in which now the father is acting honorable. He changed. At the time, when he fathered the child, he was acting dishonorably, and he had a change. He had a change of heart, an inner shift, and now he's an honorable citizen. So therefore, now you're obligated to honor, the, even the bastard is obligated to honor his father. And it's a capital crime if he doesn't. But the question is, the question remains, since you can't fix it, so what does it help me that he changed? It's too late. There's nothing you can do. The damage is done. And the damage remains. And the bastard is the ultimate innocent victim. It's not his fault. His parents had a a moment, a crime of passion. And as a result, he's going to suffer the rest of his life. So how can you say that now he's acting honorably? He, he did something so dishonorable, there's nothing you can do to fix it. So from this we see clearly that there's two aspects of teshuva. There's one aspect of teshuva, and that's the essence of teshuva, that the person changes. I'm not the same person I was before. The person who did that sin, I'm a different person today. I made that shift, that inner shift. I made a firm resolve. I'm never going to do that again. Ever. That's a genuine change. And the person has changed. And that's effective. And that's why the Talmud says, now since the father is acting honorably, the son, the bastard, is obligated to honor his father. And it's a capital crime if he doesn't. But then there's another aspect of Teshuvah. That is to undo the damage. Like if you stole money, you have to return the money. Also spiritually, whatever you've done, you have to undo. In that case, there's nothing you can do. Because the results of your sin is, is alive and is here. And is present. You can't undo the damage. That damage will forever remain. So, teshuva helps for everything. To that the person should change and that the person is a changed person the essence of Teshuvah that helps for any sin in the world what the Zohar is discussing the Zohar is discussing the other aspect of Teshuvah that Teshuvah helps us mend and undo the damage so the Zohar says yes, Teshuvah helps for everything except one thing you cannot undo the damage what is that and that is for the sin of wasteful emission I know this goes against uh, psychology 101 but um, in Judaism this is this is really the the bedrock the essence of Judaism you know Judaism is a marriage, a relationship to God. Judaism that doesn't affect us in our inner, most intimate being is not Judaism. Judaism doesn't happen in the temple that's show, that's completely external and superficial. It has absolutely nothing to do with Judaism. Judaism happens in the bedroom. Judaism happens in our most private, most intimate life, how we live personally and intimately and a Judaism that doesn't affect us if our relationship with Hashem doesn't affect us doesn't affect our sexuality and doesn't uplift and ennoble then we miss the whole point if it's not real if it's not intimate if we don't have an intimate relationship with Hashem then it's, it's completely superficial it's not religion religion happens in the temple Judaism is not religion it's deeper than religion. Judaism is real. It's, it's total. It's a relationship. It's a marriage. It's all encompassing. It touches your essence. It's your being. So, a Judaism that doesn't affect your privacy and your intimacy. And Judaism looks at sexuality as the holiest thing, not like other religions that denigrate it. You know, the ultimate is to be a monk or a nun we just learned today the high priest is not allowed to enter into the holy of holies the holiest Jew on the holiest day of the year on Yom Kippur is not allowed to enter into the holy, holy of holies the holiest spot on earth unless he's a married man to us sexuality is holy it's not something that we denigrate we're embarrassed of we're ashamed of we look down at it's the holiest thing in the world and that's where God is God is present the holy of holies is our bedroom that's where God is present when husband and wife are together God is present the Hebrew word for man is Ish. The Hebrew word for woman is Isha. The same letters. Ish. Fire. Because that's the basis of marriage, relationship. Fire. Fiery relationship. Attraction. But the man has the Yud. The woman has the Hei, which is God's name. So it says when God is present, God is a present. It's like a triangle. It's, it's Because it's holy. When husband and wife come together. It's, it's a holy union masculine energy feminine energy the whole universe comes together it's a beautiful it's it's the most profound and the deepest and most intimate part within us and for us to treat sexuality as something so superficial that you treat it like like a cup of coke like a cup of water just spill it and it means nothing and the whole idea of sexuality is some 12 year old fantasy some superficial child skin deep superficial it's like taking jet fuel and with this jet fuel you can you can you can go to the moon you can soar and instead you're using it you're treating it as as if it's a cup of coke this is this is what causes your soul to soar this is what you know you you seek and you search and man search for meaning and and this is the energy that that sexual energy this is what causes us to seek out wholeness and completion and to find Hashem and, and to find our purpose in life and this is such a powerful energy that touches us you know, every fiber of our being every bone in our body, touches us every cell in our body, all 100 trillion cells and to take this energy and to treat it as if it's nothing some 12 year old fantasy a childish, adolescent fantasy it, it, it's mind-boggling I mean, if anyone from a different age would step foot to today and realize how it has become reduced to nothing, sexuality has been reduced to the lowest common denominator, to absolutely skin-deep meaninglessness, it, you know, it, it will be shocking. It, it's criminal. You're taking something so precious, something so deep, so profound, and it means nothing. And I wonder why you know so many have lost their imagination, lost their ability to imagine depth, soulfulness, the ability to even distinguish between right and wrong. You know, that, that that Israel is the enemy and these murderers are the heroes. I mean how warped, how twisted could your mind be? How lacking in soul and lacking in imagination you can't even tell right from wrong you can't even tell who's the good person who's the bad person it's just it's just mind boggling but this is the result when you when so the Zohar says that a person who takes this powerful energy and just treats it like nothing the Shuvah doesn't help in a certain sense he, he, the equivalent is to idolatry adultery and murder because A, you've taken the potential for life and you've just wasted it in Judaism the only context is in marriage no premarital, no extramarital because every time husband and wife are together, they're strengthening something eternal, they're strengthening the marriage, they're creating something that will outlive them, something that's eternal. So every time husband and wife are together in love and holiness, and and she goes to the mikveh, you create and generate so much holiness into this world, so much goodness and kindness and love and because the act itself when it's done in the right context of marriage is is, is the holiest thing in the world it's the most beautiful thing in the world because it's, it's eternity it's part of eternity but otherwise wasteful admission it's the ultimate act of ego it's the ultimate statement that there is no purpose I come from nowhere I'm going nowhere all that matters is live in the moment there is no point There's no purpose, there's no past, there's no future. This act has no connection to anything, no connection to anyone. Nothing can possibly even come out of this act. It's just live for the moment. It's the ultimate statement of nihilism. It's the ultimate statement that I mean nothing, life means nothing. There's absolutely no point and no purpose and no rhyme and no reason. It's the ultimate antithesis of everything that's godly. And that's why the only relationship is husband and wife, man and woman. So the Zohar says that every sin in the Torah could be fixed. But the damage that's done through this act of wasteful emission and everything that it symbolizes and everything that it stands for and the statement that you're making is the antithesis of everything that's godly and holy. And he says it's so far out that nothing could fix it. And it's the equivalent of, of idolatry, adultery, and murder in a spiritual sense. So he ask the question what do you mean? The Talmud says there's nothing, absolutely nothing in the world that can stand in the way of teshuvah. Teshuvah can fix anything. No matter what damage you've done, Teshuvah can help for everything. Repentance can help for everything. And he answers it's not a contradiction because there's two levels of teshuvah. We said earlier, there's returning the lower level of Teshuvah, the lower hay, and there's the higher level of Teshuvah, the higher hay. So when the Zohar says that Teshuvah doesn't help to fix and to mend, he's talking about the lower level of Teshuvah. The lower level of chuva is not enough to fix and to mend. But the higher level of Teshuvah, there's nothing that stands in the way of Teshuvah. Teshuvah can help even for the most egregious sins, for the worst sin, for the sin that causes the most damage, no matter how much damage, no matter how much uh, havoc you have wreaked, no matter what you have done, you can always undo, you can always um, transform the negative into positive. So, the next time we meet, is going to get into, to understand what it means. In order to understand all of this, we have to understand what is... The idea of teshuva, what do you mean that when you do a sin you affect God's name? And he's going to describe how every Jewish soul contains within us, we contain within us God's name. And therefore everything that we do is rooted in God's name and affects God's name. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More
0: classes available at LessonsInTanya.com